So don't get nervous. We're going to sing some more. Uh, if, if you know me, you know that uh, I love to sing more than I love preaching. I remember when I first moved here, uh, uh, gosh, 22 and a half years ago, is that right? 22 and a half years ago, uh, we had a vision workshop. And we were setting our new, our new theme. It's gone. I can't point to it. Our new theme, uh, which I, I can't remember even what it was then. Uh, but, but I remember uh, I was running PowerPoint. And as Craig knows, the one running PowerPoint has all the control, right? Uh, you can make it say anything behind me right now. Please don't. Uh, but you can. And Ben Marinas was our preacher then. He was up there talking and he had all these vision ideas. And I just put up there as our new vision more singing, less preaching, all right? Because I thought that was, he didn't like that very much for some reason, so, so I go back to sing. So we are going to sing some more, but I want to set us up to sing. Before I do that, I forgot something in the announcements, and I don't want to do that uh, because they're uh, two of my favorite people. Uh, we celebrate anniversaries over 50 years, and Roger and Betty Wilcox celebrate 58 years on December 18th. Are y'all back there? I can't see anymore. Please stand if you're back there. I think I just announced them and they are not here this morning, but that's all right. Tell them happy anniversary uh, when you see them. So we've been spending time this Christmas season in Matthew chapter 2, as I said earlier. Matthew chapter 2, where we ask the question over and over again, why were the wise men wise? We get this story in Matthew chapter 2 about the Magi, right? And Brian has wondered many times, where do we get wise men out of magi. Magi can mean a magician or a sorcerer or a soothsayer or a counselor even uh, in their time. And he's asked that and, and I have the answer for them. You know, you know where we get the word wise and wise men? It's from the King James Version. The King James Version actually translated magi as wise men because not because they were trying to put new words in there. They just didn't know how to translate that word. It was an ancient word. We don't use that anymore. It's in Greek, in a Greek language that's not spoken anymore. So they translated that as wise men. But they didn't do it just for some spacey reason. They had reasons. They looked into the text and they saw, wow, these guys, whatever they were, were wise in the way they acted. We see, Brian has pointed out to us that we see that the wise men, when we ask what did, we do? what did they do that was so wise? Well, Brian has answered some of that for us. Well, they sought God. They sought him out. They went to see him. They planned a trip to him from the Far East. Probably Persia is what scholars say. I am not that scholar. I read scholars, right? But probably from Persia. They found their greatest joy in him. And if you were here that Sunday or if you've listened online to Brian's teaching, you hear him saying these Greek words. Do you remember them? Megas, remember Megas is big, and Kairos. Megas, Kairos, that is great joy. They didn't just have joy, they had great joy when they saw the star that led them to Jesus. And then last week we talked about where, how they came to him with gifts. They came to him to give of what they had, to, to offer him things that, that probably honored him as king and as priest and as savior. So today we're going to look into the text and see what it has for us today. And maybe you can guess when we read this text. Let's look at this text, Craig. 
Matthew, Matthew 2, verse 1 through 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea <clears throat> during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. My favorite topic in the entire world is to talk, talk about worship. And if you've heard me teach much, you probably hear me teach about worship. I, that's, it's, my, it's my thing. It's what I do. It's what I've done for, for nearly half my, my life is trying to lead people into a place of worship. This tells me that these men were wise, that they had an intent before they left, before they left Persia or wherever it was, when they traveled to Jerusalem, as they were traveling to Jerusalem, when they got to Jerusalem, when they asked the people, they had an intent. They had come to worship him. It's such a bizarre story. Such, Ernie and I were talking about this the other day. Just such a, a weird story for Matthew, who's writing for Jews, to include at the very beginning a story about non-Jews coming to not just see the king, the king of the Jews, not just get something from the king of Jews. They didn't want to just observe him and what he was doing, but the intent of their mission was to worship him. The intent of them traveling was to worship him. And this, in my opinion, is the most wise thing about him. So why is it so important for us to know that the intent of their mission, the intent of their traveling was to worship? And I will say it is because your intent drives everything you do. Or you might say your mission drives everything you do, or your vision drives everything you do. We as a church have said for years and years that we are to do one thing, and it's what Jesus called us to do in Matthew 28. Anybody know what that is? We make disciples. You can respond. I don't mind. I listened to a black preacher once. He was a really good friend of mine, Freddie Anderson, and he was speaking in Lockney, Texas. And if you don't know anything about Lockney, there's not a lot of African-Americans in Lockney, Texas. And they weren't responding to him in the way he, he wanted to be responded to. So he just started amening himself. So if I don't hear from you, I will amen myself. He would say, amen, Anderson, you are sounding good to yourself. So, so let's hear it, all right? Yeah, thank you. We are here to make disciples. We do, that is our intent. Everything we do as a church is strained through that intent to make disciples. You've seen us a couple of years ago put a big sign up here and everywhere that you go that says what? Love first. It says love first. And our whole vision is love first to become like Jesus, to advance his cause. What's his cause? To make disciples of Jesus. That's why we put that up there because our intent drives everything we do. And sometimes we get mission drift, right? We forget what we're about and we start doing things that we're, that we're not about. And we have to correct our course so that we come back to loving first. These guys had an intent. And it was to what? It was to worship, to bow down and worship the king of the Jews. So, so all right, I got to tell you something. Intent is everything in worship. For 50 or so weeks a year, for the last 25 or so years and other events, I've done my best to create atmospheres of worship, whether it's with songs or readings or lightings or, or the way they're put together or keys or lyrics or uh, whatever it might be. I've done my best to create an atmosphere where the people I'm with are led to a place to worship Jesus. And you know what? None of it 
is any good without your intent being to worship. If you come in to this place or any place with no intent to worship like the wise men did, then you probably won't. I can encourage it. Sometimes I might even get you to break out of it, or somebody might in the room. But if your intent is something else, then that's probably what you'll do. So why is intent important? And I, this is what I was going to tell you. This morning, I don't know if you know this, honey. I woke up at 3.30. I had written all this, and I get so frustrated. Not so frustrated, Brian, you're watching. I get a little frustrated when Brian changes things midstream. I, I emailed myself. I don't know if you noticed I was on my phone in the middle of the night. Uh, I emailed myself five times in the middle of the night with things that I heard was hearing from God. And, and I am a little, I don't like it when, when preachers have three-point sermons and that they all start with the same letter, but that's what God gave me at 4.30 this morning, so that's what you're going to get. So there's three things that stood out to me that is important of why you have intent, because intent drives so many things. The first thing I would say is intent drives or produces your preparation, right? So think about, think about a trip to the hospital, all right? I said a trip to the hospital, 20 things came into your mind. Some of you are thinking about going visiting someone at the hospital that's sick. Some of you are thinking of going visiting some, somebody at the hospital that just welcomed a child into the world. Some of you are thinking about visiting a family member in the hospital that's not doing well. Some of you are thinking, I'm about to make a trip to the hospital for a surgery that I'm a little afraid of. Now, all of those things you prepare for differently, right? So your intent of what you're going for is going to make you prepare differently. If you're going to see a friend, you're going to prepare by praying for them. If you're going for surgery yourself, you're going to even treat your body different as you enter into that time. So think about how these wise men must have journeyed to this place in preparation. They prepared their trip. They looked for signs. They had to pack their camels or whatever they rode on. They had to tell their family that they were leaving or tell their family they're going with them. Quite That, that might have happened. Right? They had to prepare their hearts to find Jesus. They had to investigate so they could find Jesus. And it could have been different. If their intent wasn't to worship, they could have prepared differently. Right? They might have been preparing to just observe. So they wouldn't have cared as much. All right, we'll go on. I don't want this to take too long because I want to worship. Intent produces perseverance. All right, hear me out on this. Some of you uh, watch football, and I'm talking about American football, not the, the kind of football that's going on across the world right now. Kansas City Chiefs play the Houston Texans today uh, at noon in uh, Houston, Energy Field. Kansas City Chiefs are 10-3, and three, if I remember right. Uh, Texans are, and I'm saying this because Brian might be watching, Texans are 1-11-1. and one. Uh, So they've lost a lot of games. All right, so let's say, I say, I'm going, I'm going to the game today. I'm going to the Texans game. I'm pretty excited. Well, what's your intent? If your intent is to go watch the game and you're a Texans fan, then things might get in the way for you to persevere this journey to go to Houston to see a game. Let's say you get sick. Well, then I might decide not to go. Let's say your car breaks down. Well, I might decide not to go. Let's say you make it there and the parking's terrible. It's probably going to be. Well, then I might decide to go in late. Let's say 
you get a better offer. Somebody has Cowboys tickets. <laughs> so I might not go to the game. All right, so that's my intent if I'm going to the game. Well, what if my intent is something different? I'm going to the game as the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. That changes the game in my perseverance, doesn't it? If I get sick, what do I do? I get an IV, I get rehab, I get the best treatment in the United States for me to get better because I've got to be at that game because it is important for me to be there at that game. Let's say our, our, my travel breaks down to get to the plane on time. Well, then I'm going to go pay for my own plane to get there. Let's say uh, my team starts losing early. Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to play harder. I'm not going to leave. You see how the intent makes perseverance different? Last thing, intent. Wait, go back to perseverance. Just imagine these wise men, 3, 12, 120 families on camels. It looks like they're on camels on our screen. They're riding along. They're persevering. But their intent is not to worship. Their intent is just to observe, just to watch. And the air conditioner goes out on their camel. I don't know, right? In their travel. And they say, you know, it's not worth it because I'm just going to watch. No, their intent was to worship. It was worth every step. That's what gives us perseverance is our intent. All right, last thing. It gives us participation. I'm telling you, 4.30 in the morning, this is when I got these. Participation. How do you remember this? And this is crazy things that come to me in the middle of the night. I have a child, and I'm not going to tell you which one. Uh, And he or she, (laughs) when they were younger, they've grown out of this, uh, had an aversion to brushing your teeth. All right, has anybody ever had this problem with their child, or you were that child at one time? They, they, I don't know why. I don't get it. Some of y'all are pointing at each other. That's terrible. <laughs> but he or she had a problem with wanting to brush he or she's teeth, he or her, whatever. You know, you know what I get. So either Christy and I would tell them to go brush your teeth before you're going out or before bed. And so he or she would go into the bathroom. You know how this goes, right? Because they've learned. They, and they're deceitful. They turn on the water. They get their toothbrush wet. They turn off the water. And they lay it down. Have your kids ever done this or are my kids just deviant? Well, my kid did this. I'm not telling you which one. So... His intent made his participation in this event of brushing his or her, sorry, teeth. (laughs) Okay, you've narrowed it down, maybe. His or her teeth. His participation in this, his intent is different. What is his intent? It's to make me think he brushed his teeth or she brushed his teeth. (laughs) I was really trying. My intent was for him to fully participate in brushing his teeth. Do you see how different this is when we come to worship or the wise men come to worship? If their intent was just for people to see them as someone who had brushed their teeth, who had worshipped, then they would have acted totally different than one who was actually going to worship. So intent means everything. Uh, 
I, I want to look at one text real quick, one other text with worship, and then we'll get into worship. It's Genesis. It's, it's the first place, if you've ever heard me t- teach on worship, it's the very first place that worship is mentioned in the Bible. It's not a place that I think we think of when we think of worship. We don't think, oh, that's where they had the first great worship time. Uh, but it is the first place that the English translators have translated this word, this word uh, into worship. All right, it's in Genesis 22. If you know Genesis 22, you know the backstory is Abraham is being tested by God. God calls him, Abraham has one child. God calls him to sacrifice his son. Read the text with me. It's uh, Genesis 22, verse 2. God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. It's hardcore stuff, right? Sacrifice your only son as a burnt, uh, a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. All right, that's a hard test. Look later in verse 33. It tells a story of how Abraham did this. Early the next morning, Excuse me. Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. He had, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, get this, stay here with the donkeys. While I and the boy go over there, what are we going to do? We will worship. Is that what you think of when you think we will worship? I'm going to go take my child and sacrifice them as a burnt offering? That's what Abraham called worship. He said, we will worship and then we will come back to you. So his intent to worship produced, remember what they are? Preparation. He made time. He cut the wood. He traveled. He looked for the place. It produced perseverance. How many times do you think in this road to the mountain that Abraham wanted to turn back and say, no, this is costing me too much. It's costing my, my only son, but it's also costing my promise. It's costing me my promise that God gave me. God said, I will be the father of many nations, that my, my descendants will number like those on the sands of the beach. How am I going to have that if my son is burnt in an offering? I want to turn back. But no, he persevered and he went through And then look at the participation in worship. First, he expected God to be there. Second, look at what he said. We will worship and then what? We will come back to you. Who's we, Kimosabi? Isn't that what he used to say? Who is this we you're talking about? Well, it's me and my son because I expect, I have a holy expectancy that God is going to do something amazing when I worship. When I approach the throne of God, something amazing is going to happen. And so I'll just expect that, and I will participate with him in this worship. As you know, God did something amazing. God provided the lamb. God spared Abraham from sacrificing his son and provided the lamb, which foreshadowed to what we have today. So think about two things. Why are you here? Let me get this clear. Worship is not just about here. Please don't make worship just about here. Worship is everywhere. But this morning... You came here. So we're going to talk about here. Why are you here? What's your intent? What's your intent of being here today? Is it because uh, my, my mom made me, my spouse made me, because it's time, uh, because it's 
the right thing to do because I'm trying to earn my way to heaven. If I get enough, and if I get 50 in a year, I think I can take two off as long as I watch them online. Is it because it's just a habit for you to do? Is it because you wanted to see your friends? That's not a bad thing, is it? But is it to worship? Is it to really do what the wise men wanted to? And if you're not sure, if you came here to worship this morning, or if you came here for other reasons, just look at how you prepared this morning. How did you prepare to come to worship? That's a whole other sermon that I won't preach this morning, but it's important for us to prepare to come to worship. And I just want to say, before we get into our worship, if you didn't prepare, if your intent was not to come here to worship, that's okay too. If you stumbled in here barely able to come, that's okay. If you limped in because you, this is the only hope you could think of, then God will meet you right there. God will meet you wherever you are. Change your intent now to worship him. When you change your intent, everything changes, which is also what's scary about changing your intent. Everything changes. So change your intent now. Let's stand, church. Praise team, will you come up? They're going to lead us in some worship. There's a song that we sing at this time of year. We're not singing it this morning. Joy to the world that calls us to let every heart prepare him room. Take a second and let your heart prepare room for Jesus. And then we will worship. love singing that song come and see what God has done that's not a small thing that we're calling each other to to come and see what God has done we're going to take a minute now before communion to dismiss our little ones ages three through kindergarten uh, for our children's worship time you can follow these guys out right here it looks like as we enter into uh, a time of communion together I'd ask our guys that are serving communion this morning, go, go ahead and, and take your places. As we look at this text, we look down the road a little bit, a few, a few verses down the road in verse 11, and we see the accomplishment of the intent, right? On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Mission accomplished. They got there. They didn't do like we do sometimes when we show up with our intent to worship and we go, wait a minute, they're doing the songs I don't like or they're doing the preacher that I don't like or, or it's uncomfortable for me or no, they finished. And I want to, as we go through communion this morning, finish up this morning, I want us to look at the progression here. The first thing they did was they saw the child. They saw flesh, God in flesh, no longer disembodied, not like the other gods that are made of wood and stone, but God in flesh, babbling like a baby, I assume. They saw Jesus. They had followed this star on this crazy journey, and it just happened through miracles, I would say, that they found in some barn in Bethlehem or outside of Bethlehem that they found this baby 
who happened to become, who happened to be the Word made flesh with a body. Jesus, at the Last Supper with his disciples, before he went to be crucified and then raised from the dead three days later, Jesus said to his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it, the bread of the Passover feast, which has a lot of other great, great story behind it that we won't go into. And he broke it and he said, take and eat, this is my body. You could say, this is my flesh. This is me being human. Is it really his body? No, we don't believe that. It is a representation of his body. Luke says it a little different way. Luke says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember that I came from heaven to earth as spirit, to earth as flesh, to live for you, to die for you, and to be raised again for you. Flesh, I came to you. Now, why is it important for us to see Jesus like the wise men did. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples again. And he said, I'm the way, we know this scripture, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. <coughs> Excuse me. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Do you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen Jesus, that's why it's important for us to see him. That's why it's important for us to remember he had flesh and to see him. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew talks about adult Jesus teaching Sermon on the Mount and what we call the Beatitudes. One of my favorite Beatitudes, blessed is the pure in heart. You know what happens to them? They see God. In church, so many of us, including myself, for so long, have discounted us from that. That'll never be me. Because I can never be pure in heart. And that's true. Without the blood of Jesus, you can never be pure in heart. Without the broken body of Jesus, you can never be pure in heart. That is true. But I don't know that that's what that text even means that we have to be morally pure to see God. I don't think that's what that's saying. Randy Harris, great theologian, he says that it's more right to say, blessed are the ones with a singleness of purpose in life, that your heart is all about one thing, that your heart has intent. For if you have that singleness of purpose in life, guess what? You see God. So this morning, as you take communion, Take the bread and just pause for a minute and look at it and be reminded that you see God in the flesh of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. And that's why I'm reminded every Sunday that he was body. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. But most of all, thank you for this meal that reminds us that you were human and fully God, but fully human like us, which means, as the Hebrew writer says, you understand every temptation that we have met. Thank you for understanding us, Jesus. And let this bread remind us that you've understood us and you show us a way to live. 
And it's through the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. You may have heard me tell this story. If you're on praise team, I know you have, and we sing that song. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I, I would lead our Sunday night service. I would preach and sing. It was terrible. <laughs> uh, doing both. Not for me doing both. I enjoyed it, but for the ones that had to listen to me for that long. Uh, but I was leading that song one night. I was right down there in the middle. I was leading pure in heart. And I sing loud. Y'all know that. And I sang, pure in heart, oh God, help me to be. May I devote my life mostly to thee. Just with all the confidence in my heart. Because that's probably exactly what I meant. Mostly works fine for me. And mostly doesn't let us... Now, I believe we see God all the time in each other. But a pure side of God. When our heart is distracted, it just doesn't happen. So they saw him. And then the next thing that we see is they bowed down to him. They bowed down to him. Now, we don't bow in our culture, do we? The only, the only thing I can think of we bow in our culture... Uh, Liz, we bow in uh, Asian fighting sports, right? We bow to each other. I don't know if that's, I even called that right, Liz, sorry. Uh, we, we bow to each other before we beat each other, right? <laughs> uh, and then we bow at the end of performances, which is so counter what bowing was in their culture. We bow at the end of performance as if to say, great, I did a good job. Thank you very much for clapping for me. They bowed to show ultimate submission. And, and the translations may be better is they fell before his feet or they fell before Jesus and worshiped him. It is an ultimate act of submission. Matthew only uses this word twice, the word bow, translated to the word bow. Once here and once in uh, just a couple of chapters later when, when the adult Jesus has been led into the the desert by the Spirit and is being tempted by the devil. And the devil says to him, he took him on a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he said, all this I will give to you if you will bow down before me and worship me. God gave instructions, we call them the Ten Commandments for his people when they're learning how to live on their own after they've been delivered. And the second commandment, the first commandment was have no other gods before me. The second commandment is to no, have no idols before you and that you should not bow down to, down to them or worship them because bowing down means submitting. Have you ever seen Jesus in a way that would cause you to fall down, to bow down? I think of Simon Peter. Remember at the beginning of Simon Peter's ministry with Jesus, he was out fishing because that's what Simon Peter did, and evidently he wasn't great at it. And Jesus performed this miracle where many, uh, an abundance of fish came in, something like they had never seen before. And it says in Scripture, it says, if I can find it, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Have you ever had that feeling? I'm not good enough. So I'm just going to fall at my feet. We take the cup now, the cup of wine or, or grape juice that represents the blood. And if there's anything that ever drives me to my knees, it's thinking of the blood of Jesus. And the multitude, 
the countless sins that that blood has covered. That blood has washed away. The pain that our Lord went through that caused this blood to be shed for us so we could be forgiven and so we could be raised and not bow anymore but be with him. So today, today, not only let the blood drive you to your knees, let the blood lift you to a place where you remember that you are forgiven and that you have conquered death. You have victory over sin and over death because of the blood of Jesus. James says it, the brother of Jesus. He says, humble yourselves, bow before the Lord. And what will happen? He will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And I I wondered this week as I was writing, is that the Lord seeing me or me seeing the Lord? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. I love how the message says it. Craig will put it up here. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. So take that cup and remember that the blood causes you to kneel, bow, and raises you up to be with him, to be sons and daughters of the Lord Most High, to be a brother of the very Jesus that we seek. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this cup. Thank you for the truth of the covenant that your son set forth with this cup. And let us remember and be humbled by the great work that your son, you sent him who has no sin to become our righteousness. Remind us of this truth, Father. And remind us that you have raised us up and you will resurrect us. And you have given us life to the full today. It's through the name of Jesus we pray these things and believe them. Amen. It may be that until we sing that as true, that we are in need, we will never bow down before the Lord. I, I think that's true for me in my experience in life. I, I've loved to sing all my life. I've not loved to worship all my life. It was about singing for a long time. Until I encountered the, great, the true grace of God, knowing I'm forgiven, then, then I can say, I'm in need and I worship you. So they, the last part of that text, they saw him, they bowed down, and they worshiped. They worshiped. The Greek word is, there is my favorite Greek word because it's translated worship most of the time. It's proskuneo, uh, pros meaning forward or to, uh, kuneo meaning to kiss. It's to kiss towards someone, showing love. Isn't that a great picture? The, the picture that I got a long time ago studying this, it's like, like a dog licks a master's hand. That's worship. It's not neat. You hear that? That's not neat. That's not formal. That's, that looks more like the woman who comes in and anoints Jesus at Bethany, who cries before him, who worships him, who washes his feet. It's not pretty sometimes when we worship, is it? But it is right, and it's what we're called to do. You can bow down, by the way, without worshiping. It happens. Because when you bow down, it's often it's commanded that you bow down or, or demanded 
Sometimes it's demanded in your own heart, but often it's demanded by someone else. And if you don't bow down, you'll suffer the consequences. So you bow down out of fear, or you bow down out of not being, want to be out of place. In, in the scriptures that I quoted earlier, it was bow down. You, you shouldn't bow down and worship, either one, before an idol or, or before Satan. So, so, why is this so important, what you worship? Why is it so important to look at and think about what we worship? I would say that who or what you worship is the most important thing about you. It forms everything about you, who or what you worship. My definition of, of worship, and remember now we're talking about outside of here, worship is life. It's a Romans 12 kind of worship that we won't go through. <clears throat> My running definition definition of worship is worship is our natural response to what we value most you remember with joy you don't brian said this you don't white knuckle joy i don't think you truly white knuckle worship you don't make yourself worship now sometimes there is the discipline of worship that helps you get to the place of true worship you discipline yourself to where you will naturally worship the father but it is about what you value most. And because it's what you value most, you become what you worship. That's a scary thought to me. You become what you worship, whatever that might be. That could be a great thing or that could be a bad thing. We know that because of Scripture. Psalm 115, I'll read that really quick as we're wrapping up. He's talking about the other nations. He says their idols are silver and gold. They're made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot hear. They have ears but cannot they have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. They have noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but cannot walk. These sound pretty ridiculous, don't they? Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And those who make them will become like them. And so will all who trust in them. Those who make them or trust in them or worship them will become like them. They'll have eyes but not be able to see. They'll have ears and not be able to hear the truth. True things of life will not come out of them because they've become like the idols they worship. Ralph Waldo Emerson, I don't go quoting him much, but uh, he's quoted in saying that a person will worship something. Have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will out. It will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Let me read that again. Just think about what dominates your thoughts and your imagination. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship. For what we are worshiping, we are becoming. I'll ask our elders and our ministers to go to their places as we get ready to dismiss. They go to these places to, to be there for you. Maybe you want to make a commitment to Christ today. Maybe you just want prayers through, through this time of year. Uh, maybe you want prayers to change your intent. And as they're going to those places, I just want us to ask, what are we becoming? So we ask, what are we worshiping? 
Are we worshiping money? Are we worshiping power? Are we worshiping uh, the idol of sports? The idol of knowledge? The idol of being right? Is that what you worship? I want to be right about everything. Are you worshiping your political party? Yay. Getting too close, right? Are you worshiping your sports team today? Are you worshiping your kids looking perfect to the world by what you post on social media or what you tell people and not being real with each other? What do you worship? Because it is what you're becoming. And all those things that I said, there's, there's one true thing about all of them. They are all similar in one way. They will die. None of them are eternal. Not one of those things I said. But worshiping Jesus... He is the eternal one. He was here before the world was created because it says the stars were worshiping him. And he will be here forever after. And when you choose him, you choose life to worship. And you choose to be with him forever. Another way of saying what we've said is you become what you behold. I've heard that said many times. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs Luke picked out. Behold our God. And let that just call you to become what you behold. To worship, to call yourself to an intent worship as the wise men did of the one, the Jesus who came in the flesh, who went to the cross, who died, and who was risen for you. Let's stand and let's worship together.